So we've had quite a journey uh, as we've explored these various heroes of faith. Do you remember them all? We kind of dove into the experiences of King David, of John the Baptist, of Joshua, Jeremiah, Ruth, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Joseph, Samuel, and last week, Josiah. And we've learned a lot about our own lives through observing the lives of these heroes. But today, I want to take a look at something that all of these people had in common, which is faith. We're talking about heroes of faith, and well, what did that faith look like? And how does it apply to us in our modern day context? These men and women of faith had something that made them heroic and something that we can aspire to. And so in order to do this, we're going to look at one last hero, and that is Abraham. Because actually the Bible tells us that Abraham is the father of all who believe. He's our father of faith. And we're going to look at three aspects of Abraham's faith that help us to understand how we can share that same heroic faith. Abraham had a faith that wandered. He had a faith that wavered. But ultimately he had a faith that wins. And in each of those sections, we're going to look at a couple of stories out of the voluminous number of stories about Abram's life. But let's begin by looking at our handout at a couple of passages I've chosen. You can see that middle one, Romans 4, 16. That's where the Apostle Paul tells us, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. So he's the model of all models in this series. And we're actually introduced to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, all the way back in the beginning. This is where we begin to find out about Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, now notice that I'm saying Abraham, but it says Abram here. We're going to get to that because God will change his name. And that name change is very significant when it comes to this journey of faith that he's on. So now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that's our introduction. And then the, the last passage there, Hebrews, is really kind of like an afterglow, a summary of what really happened in Abram's life. The author of Hebrews says, by faith, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So the story of Abram begins with him having to go out. We're introduced to this man who actually at the time was living in what is known as Ur of the Chaldees, located in what is modern-day Iraq. 
And that area of the world was known for idolatry. They worshipped many gods, but especially the moon god. And in fact, Abram's father's name, Terah, means moon. And the rabbi's commentary on this passage tells us that Terah was in the business of making and selling idols for a living. And so what we see here is a family that is invested in false worship, and yet God speaks to Abram. And I think that is so cool because it demonstrates for us something that we know to be true throughout the scriptures for us as well, and that is that God always takes the initiative. His invitation to us to come into a relationship with him, a relationship of faith, is not based upon how good we are. It wasn't that Abraham was such a great guy, but rather that God is such a great God that he reached out and invited Abram to come into this relationship. And so it is with us as well. As Abraham Heschel, the great Jewish commentator, said on this passage, it's not so much that man was in search of God as that God is in search of man. And that's a comforting thought to realize that God wants to have that relationship with Abraham and he wants to have that relationship with us. And so he, he in, invites Abraham and his wife Sarah into this, but it, the nature of it is a wandering faith. Uh, he has to be prepared to leave. Get out, get thee out is actually the way the older translation gives it. Go from these things that you're relying on. And in those days, to rely on your father's house, that was important. That was how people gained their reputation, their wealth, their security. But God says, you have to leave all of those things. And if you do, I'm going to make some very, very special promises. He promised Abram, first of all, a place. Well, when you're leaving a place, you have to have another place. And God says, I've got a place. I go to a land. He says, I'm going to make you a people, a great nation. And I'm going to make you a blessing, prominence. It's, it's personal, it's national, it's universal. All the families of the earth. But here's the thing about it. Not one of those promises that God made came true immediately. And so the nature of Abraham and Sarah's relationship was that they had to have faith and they needed to wait. And those two come together. Exercising faith means being willing to wait. And when God says, I have a land for you, he says, it's a land, what? That I'll show you. Well, wait a minute, God, can't you tell me now? No, you'll, you'll find out later. There's no GPS. <laughs> There's no exit marked on the road. And we know ultimately that it was the land of Canaan, which is modern day Israel, but at the time when he set out, he had no idea. And, and actually, the Hebrews passage tells us they continued to wander even when they got to the land. It was about 800 miles from Ur to the land of Canaan. And they continued to wander. So here's this land that God promised, but they didn't get it right away. I'll make of you a great nation. There's going to be a people that's going to come from you. Here's another problem. Abraham and Sarah were both in their 70s. They had no children, and she was barren. So God is making them stretch. This is going to be a wait, and it's actually going to take 25 years before that promise is fulfilled. And that's going to be a cause for some anxiety, as we'll see. But there's this wandering, this sense of, okay, we're on a journey, but we're moving out in faith, and we're willing to wait. 
And the third promise, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, I don't think they ever lived to see that come to pass in the way that we understand it as being the father of all those who believe of faith. So they had this wandering faith, this nomadic kind of willingness to go and just to trust God. And what that nomadic faith, that willingness to wait, did for them is it made them less needing to grab hold of things. I don't know about you, but you know, I, I have a good sense of what I think I need, and when I see it, I grab for it. And a lot of times, the conflicts that come in life are because we think we need something and somebody else thinks they need the same thing. But there's another story in the very next chapter from chapter 12 where Abraham uh, has a nephew with him named Lot. Abraham knew a lot. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so he brings him down with him and they both start to accumulate possessions flocks and herds and servants. And the servants of both men start fighting with each other to the point where Abraham goes and he says, you know what, Lot, I tell you what, this is not good. We don't want this fighting going on. You pick the place that you want to go for your herds to graze and everything. Pick whatever spot you want, and I'll go in the other direction. And this is an amazing evidence of what faith does in the heart of a person. Remember, God had promised Abram the whole thing. And here's this nephew, he had the right to choose, and yet he says, go ahead, Lot, choose. And Lot says, cool. And he looks around and he sees this area of the country in the south of Canaan that has two cities, and it's the most lush, fertile part of Israel. And he says, I've got that. Abraham says, fine. And of course, those two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose out of what he perceived to be what was to his advantage. And in reality, his greed got the best of him. And like Lot, I often look around and see what might be the best for me and choose that. And it's not always working out well for me. I don't know about you, but Abraham chose to trust God. The disease of greed is healed by generosity. And Abraham, because of his faith, his willingness to wander, he had this tremendous generous spirit. He didn't grab what was his right to claim, but he said, Lot, you take first choice. Lot chose. It worked out better for Abram. The way of faith, a wandering faith, a willingness not to grab onto what we think is our right and our privilege. Always works better because we're trusting God. He had a faith that was willing to wander. But he also had a faith that wavered from time to time. He had some real insecurities. Uh, and I think it's so great that the Bible presents our heroes not as, you know, in their idealized sense, but rather really who they are with all the flaws and, and cracks of humanity. We're all human beings. We all have weaknesses. And Abraham's were present in his life and Sarah's, big and large. And... and I'll tell you the two stories, one about Abraham and one about Sarah and their wavering faith. So Abraham was traveling around. He was wandering. And in one particular time, he was going to wander down to Egypt. And there weren't laws that were common for all humanity. So when you as a stranger came into a new community, there were dangerous moments. And Abram was particularly fearful because his wife Sarah was very good looking. 
Now she's 70, I, you know, I don't claim to understand this, but the Bible tells us she was a babe, okay? <laughs> and so Ab Abram says to Sarah, he says, you know, I'm afraid that when we get down there, Pharaoh's gonna want you, and he's gonna see me as an obstacle, and he's gonna kill me. So let's agree together that we tell him, you're my sister. Now, I can't imagine what Sarah must have been thinking at this point, but she goes along with it, and that's exactly what happens. And sure enough, Pharaoh says, I like your sister. <laughs> I want to marry her. And so they take her and put her in the house of Pharaoh to prepare her for the wedding. And Pharaoh starts heaping all of this wonderful stuff on Abraham. Here, have cattle, have gold, have, you know, this is my new brother-in-law, right? So he's going to treat him well. But things start to happen in Pharaoh's house. People starting to get sick, even starting to die. And Pharaoh's confused. And God comes to Pharaoh in a dream. And he says, the reason this is all happening to you is because this woman you're going to marry is married to Abraham. And Pharaoh wakes up and he says, I can't believe this. Abraham, what are you doing to me? You know, Get out of here. Take your wife with you. Take this stuff and get out. I don't want you around here anymore. And so it worked out to Abram's advantage, but it wasn't a real shining moment in his life, you know? And imagine what it did to his marriage that she was willing to sacrifice his own wife's relationship. And you would think that he would learn from that, right? But he didn't. He goes back up to Canaan, and he's going into the territory of a, of a Canaanite king named Abimelech, does the same thing. I mean, you know, he was so afraid for his own skin that he was willing to jeopardize his wife. It's not a very honorable, admirable characteristic of our father of faith. Fear and insecurity can cause people of faith to say and do some pretty crazy things, don't you think? Hasn't that been your experience? When we act out of fear, we are not living by faith. Sarah, on the other hand, had a different set of problems. She had insecurities around her inability to produce a child. And even though God had promised, she was waiting, but her insecurities began to grow and grow until she finally felt it necessary to help God out. And so she says to, and by the way, this was legal, and there are, in the Code of Hammurabi, which is an ancient law code from this period of time, this solution that she comes up with is very common. She says, Abram, I'm not, it's not working for me, so he, I have a maid. Her name is Hagar. I want you to take her and have a baby with her, and it'll be my baby, and it'll be our, our offspring together. And Abraham didn't seem to resist too much, frankly. And uh, so he takes Hagar, and Ishmael is born. And of course, we know the Bible tells that Ishmael is the father of the Arab peoples to this very day. Amazing. And yet, you would think Sarah's solution, since it was legal, was okay, except for the fact that, you see, God had promised, and she wavered in her ability to believe the promise. And so then things got worse. She began to think, you know what? I'm seeing some dirty looks coming at me from Hagar. She's despising me. And she goes to Abraham. She says, don't you see what you've done now? This woman is despising me in my own house. And later on, when the promise actually was fulfilled, Sarah freaks out. She says, this 
Ishmael is going to, you know, he's going to overcome Isaac, my own child. And so she actually forces Abraham to kick them out of the family. And it's a tragic, tragic scene because he gives them some food and some water and they go out into the wilderness and they're close to death. In fact, Hagar leaves the boy, Ishmael. She says, I can't watch him die. And she walks away and that's where God comes in. Such an amazing thing. We need to remember this, especially today. God says, you know what? I'm blessing you and I'm going to bless Ishmael. And he provides for them and they continue to live and and thrive and, and survive. And it's a wonderful story, but you have to admit that this does not reflect well either on either Sarah or Abraham for that matter. And uh, Sarah doubled down on her insecurities. She became hostile and antagonistic toward the woman and the child that she caused to be brought into the world. And they were treated, that is Hagar and Ishmael, shamefully. And the legacy, I think, of that mistreatment is with us to this very day. Today's conflict between the Jewish people and the Arab peoples has a psychic, a spiritual, and historical foundation that echoes down through the generations. But we have to remember that God promised to bless both lines and that there is hope for restoration because of God's promise. We haven't seen it yet, but the Bible tells us it's coming, and that's hopeful. Even in the most intractable problems in our world, faith makes a difference, and that is really, really important. Faith wavers, but ultimately, with Abraham and Sarah, our parents, our spiritual parents, the father of our faith, faith wins. It wins in the end. And there's a couple of stories that I want to tell that demonstrate this. One I've actually told before here at Cornerstone. And it's one of the greatest evidences of faith because it really is the first mention in all of the Bible about how the gospel really works in our lives and that it is not by works or by anything other than faith. At this point, it's in Genesis 15. Abram is just at the low ebb of his faith. He's about ready to give up. He's fearful that none of this is really going to happen. And God comes in. And his first words to Abram are, don't be afraid. Remember, fear is the enemy of faith. Whenever we're feeling fear, the answer to that, the antidote to that is faith. And so God kind of pumps up Abram's faith. He says, look, I I want to show you something. And he he takes him outside and he says, look up at the night sky. What do you see? Tons of stars. And God says, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And the Bible says at that point, at that point, looking up at the stars, Abram believed and God accounted it unto him as righteousness. His faith is what produced God's favor, God's granting him right standing. God at that point deposited into Abraham's checkbook all that he would need to live hopefully and faithfully for him. Despite his weaknesses, despite his failings, it was faith that was the operative term. Faith in the promise. Abraham said, yes, now I believe that one day this is going to happen. 
And maybe we don't know exactly how much of what really was going to happen Abraham understood at that point. He thought, well, certainly I'm going to have lots of kids, <laughs> and they're going to grow. And uh, I remember uh, we have a camp in Jews for Jesus, Camp Gilgal, where we bring Jewish kids out to have a couple of weeks of uh, outdoor experience, and we teach them the Bible, and every night they have what's called tabernacle time, where they're given a Bible story and then told to go reflect on it. And one night, this story of Genesis 15 and Abraham looking up at the stars, they, they were told the story, and they said, go lay down on your back and look up at the skies and reflect on it. And so there was silence, and one of the kids piped up and said, do we know how many stars there are in the sky? And the counselor said, no, the scientists haven't been able to figure that out yet. Silence. And then one of the kids said, well, why don't the scientists just count all the Jews? <laughs> Logical, right? <laughs> but you see, what Abraham may not have known at that time was that God wasn't just talking about Jews. He was talking certainly about the descendants of Ishmael, but he was also talking, as Paul says in, in Romans 4, all who believe. All who trust God in the same way, this faith that we want to have is what makes the difference. And Abraham believed. But God also tested that faith in a way that uh, you would think that most of us wouldn't win. <laughs> a, 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 a challenge that I can't even begin to imagine having for myself. And it's actually the story that is read every year at the Feast of Trumpets at Rosh Hashanah tonight in the Jewish community. It's called the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, because it begins, and the Lord tested Abraham. And so the Feast of Trumpets calls us into a period of testing, and that's really the whole point of the story. God says in Genesis 22 to Abram, he says, take your son. Isaac has been born now. The child of promise is there. He's growing up, evidence of God keeping his promise. And now God says, but take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And you see, there's this sense of intensifying with the phrases that demonstrate that God is saying to Abram and to us, I know what I'm asking. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go on a journey to Mount Moriah. Now, that's ultimately the place where the temple in Jerusalem would be, and the remnants still stand. But at that time, there was no city and there was no temple. It was just a mountain. God was setting things up for a future. And he says, take him there and offer him as a burnt offering on the altar. I mean, what? What was going through Abram's mind? Well, what we know is what he did. Early the next morning, he saddled his donkey, he took wood for the fire and a knife, his son and some servants, and began on the journey. And to me, that says a lot about what faith is like. Because a lot of times we think of faith as that giant step into the unknown. But in reality, faith begins with the small things. You can't make the big step if you're not willing to take the small ones. And he does. He, he gets the wood. He saddles his donkey. He starts out on the journey. And during that journey, he makes several declarations of faith in God. He knew God had promised him this son. And whatever God had up his sleeve, he still trusted. He still believed. And so on the way, as they get to the foot of the mountain, 
He says to his servants, wait here, the lad and I will go and worship and we will return to you. Number one. As they're climbing up the side of the mountain, Isaac, <laughs> he notices something. Observant young man. He says, Dad, I notice the wood for the fire. I see the knife, but where is the animal? <laughs> and Abraham says, God will provide. They get up to the top of the mountain, the fire, the wood, the altar, and then Isaac is bound with cords and put on that altar. What a moment. I mean, God is going to provide Abraham. When is he going to do it? Why didn't he do it after you saddled the donkey? Why didn't he do it after you were started on the journey? Why didn't he do it after you were trudging up the side of the mountain? But it's at that point of greatest need, knife in hand, Abraham's ready to plunge it into his son, his only son whom he loves, and the voice of the angel comes. Abraham, Abraham, okay. Don't raise your hand against the lad, for now I know that you fear, that you really do fear, that you love me. And behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. God provided in the place where it was most needed and at the point at which it was most needed. And that's what faith is all about. And that is a winning faith, ultimately, in the end, isn't it? So there's just a couple of things that I'd like to put up on the board for us by way of application to take these things home with us. First of all, God calls us out of our comfort zones and into a journey with him. Remember that Abraham, in order to exercise his faith, had to go. He had to get out, get thee out. <laughs> He had to leave his, everything that was comfortable and move forward. And through that experience, grasp the unseen to believe in what was not presently evident. And that's what we need as well. We need to be willing to go out and to look with the eyes of faith at things not seen. Otherwise, all of us are just like flies crawling on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. We'll only see the micro, and we won't see the big picture. The big picture helps us to move in faith toward God. We have to experience the call of God in the same way that Abraham did, and, and it's not based upon our qualifications. Isn't that a relief? But God graciously, because of his goodness, invites us into this relationship, and then provides us with all that we need to exercise the faith toward what he's promised. Some people confuse faith and belief. Oh, I have faith because I believe in God, and isn't that enough? Well, the book of James tells us that the demons believe in God and shudder. So no, it's not saving faith just to believe. Someone has said that Genuine faith is like an acronym from the word itself, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all I trust him. So what is it that God asks of us to forsake? We need to leave and cleave, just like in the marriage relationship. 
Not, it's not going to be the same for each and every one of us, but there are things that God is asking us to leave. Faith is not an additive to life. It is a brand new life. And if we've never entered into the journey, that's what God is asking of us. Forsaking all, I trust him. Let's take God at his word. Let's be willing to put our lives on the line so that we can get the blessing. So we don't grab for the things that we think that we need, but God sometimes will give us not what we need. We need to release the things rather that we think we need, and he'll give us so much better than what we wanted for ourselves. I think about this. My father, to me, is an example of this. I never beat him in arm wrestling, but, uh, you know, the, uh, the fact is I'm ashamed to tell you that I never, for most of my life, recognized what an example he was to me. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that goes and makes plans and gets stuff done and grabs what I think I need, and he's been, he's been very much the opposite. He's never been one to grab the things in life that I think that he needs. And he's been taken advantage of by certain people that he's worked with and worked for. And it makes me angry to see that he doesn't always defend himself in the way that I think he should. And then about 30 years ago, he and my mom, living up in Nevada, said, we believe God has called us to move to Israel. And they did. No tangible means of financial support. Didn't know the language, and yet they went. And, and I have to say, there was something in me that was really proud of them being willing at that stage of life to take that kind of a risk. And yet at the same time, I would argue with my dad, how are you going to provide for yourself, dad? How are you going, what happens if something happens to you? Who's going to take care of mom? Where's your savings in all this? What are you going to do? And every time he'd say, the Lord has called us to this, we know he'll provide. And he has. My dad's 86 years old now. And he's never lacked food on his table or a roof over his head. He's sometimes lived very close to the ground. But so what? He's lived a life of faith. And that really both humbles and convicts me of how I live my life. Faith, <laughs> faith that wanders, yeah, that's my dad. And that's what God is calling all of us to. In different circumstances, different ways, but will we believe? Will we trust? Will we enter that journey of faith? Will we wander with him? Secondly, God calls us to a growing faith, not necessarily a perfect faith. I mean, think about Abraham and Sarah. They had spectacular failures in their journey of faith. And I would imagine that each and every one of us can identify with that. And maybe some of us have said, my failure is so great that I don't dare hope for anything more in my life. Well, don't allow that word to be planted in your mind and in your heart. Because God has called us to a winning faith, even if we fail. There's sometimes where God... We think we know what we want and God withholds that from us because he has something much more to give. And when we fail, God wants us to fail into a further season of growth in faith. Do you believe that? He was the one who invited you to begin with. It's not based upon your success or failure, but on his grace, fully 
fully and finally. And I can't help but think that the story of Abraham was not only a story of failure, but ultimately of tremendous victory and success. God affirmed Abram. He called him a prophet. He, he told Abimelech, ask Abram to pray for you because he's a prophet. And, you know, imagine Abimelech saying, wait a minute, this guy just lied to me and I've got all these problems because of it and yet he's a prophet and you want him to pray for me? <laughs> but like in Stephen Ambrose's band of brothers, you salute the office. You salute not the man, but the office. Abraham was a prophet, not because of his greatness, but because of God and God's greatness, which he said, this is my man, get him to pray for you. So no matter what failure, if you are a child of God, the faith that God has given you to believe and follow is a faith ultimately that will win. It will win because God ultimately did for us what he didn't in the end ask Abram to do. As he was there, knife in hand, ready to take his son, the life of his son. God says, don't do it, because now I know that you love me. And God did in the Lamb, in Jesus the Messiah, what he didn't ultimately ask Abram to do. God took his son, his only son, Jesus, whom he loves, and he allowed him to die a cruel death, shedding his blood on the cross to pay for all the brokenness and all the failure of each and every one of us who would enter into this journey of faith. And so while God said to Abraham, now I know you love me, we look at the cross and say to God, now I know you love me. When I see Jesus and what he did for me, now I know you love me. Greater Love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus said, I call you friends. Enter into this journey. God gave his son so that the righteousness, the right standing, the forgiveness, the mercy and grace of God might be added to our spiritual checking account. Theologians call it imputed righteousness, but you see that's what Abraham experienced all the way back in Genesis 15 when he believed. And that's what we experience all the way now here at Cornerstone when we believe in the promise. God, I know you love me. You sent Jesus and I believe, I believe. I have faith. And that's a faith that wins each and every time. In a moment, the band's going to come back and sing a song that ties into this theme in an interesting way. That we're all human beings, but we all can be heroes. Why? Because of some superhuman ability that we have? No. But because of the hero that we believe in. Because Jesus, our Messiah, is the ultimate hero of faith. And through his rightness, through his power, through his standing, we human beings can also act heroically as well. The ushers will come, we'll have our time of giving, but let me pray for us. Lord, wow, you have been faithful. The 
thread of your faithfulness and the story of faith and the reality of how you deal with us goes all the way back to the beginning, to our father Abraham. And I pray for each one of us that knows what it means to be a child of Abraham by faith in Jesus, that you'd encourage us today that no matter what our past has been or our present, that we can continue on this journey and have a wonderful, winning faith walk with you because our relationship and our future is not based upon our performance, but on your grace. We pray for any who might be fearful about taking that first step of getting out, of going out from that which is comfortable. Help, help those who are here contemplating that reality to be willing to take that first step. We love you, Lord, that you're so gracious, so patient with us. And we want not what we perceive to be our best. We want your best for us. And we embrace that in Jesus' name. Amen.